0: You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, sauté some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some rice, And it is an amazing dinner. J O I N D E L E T E M E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for twenty percent off. Did you know that since two thousand, ownership of real estate has outperformed the stock market nearly two times? It makes sense. We all need a place to live, and businesses need a place to do business. In today's episode, we're talking to Samson Jagoraz about the power of real estate as an investment and the number one investment your financial advisor isn't telling you why bigger real estate is better and more attainable than single family homes.
1: Ooh, I can't wait for this one. You're listening to Millennial Money with award winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Welcome, welcome
0: friend. This episode is all about a different side of investing in real estate. So, I want you to channel all your HGTV real estate love into learning about bigger real estate. I'm talking multifamily. According to Samson, hands down, there is no better asset class for building wealth than real estate. However, building wealth through real estate is not very passive by nature. So, How do you do it? How do you build wealth in real estate without having to be on the clock 24-7? That's where Samson, founder of Growth View Properties, comes in. He's sharing how to get started investing in real estate with a small amount of money, how to invest smartly, yes to this, and the difference between buying a house and investing passively in real estate while still making bank. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money. Samson, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: You are so welcome. I'm really excited to be here as a fellow millennial to share <laughs> any and all knowledge and wisdom that I can bring to your audience. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I have so much that uh, I want to talk to you about and pick your brain on. And, and we're talking about real estate investing, and it's it's a topic that I've done Quite a lot on the show. Uh, the show's been around for over six years. So, obviously, we've talked about real estate investing, but everybody who comes on has like a little different niche or or maybe some secrets that you've learned that you can really impart in us. And then I think a lot of the listeners are really interested in real estate. Uh, I think there's still kind of a little bit of a fear when it comes to investing in real estate, but you say that real estate really needs to be. Like a key part of our investment portfolio. Can we can we unpack that a little bit? Like why is real estate so important?
2: Well, for me, you know, things that I choose to invest in long term just come down to basic human needs. You know, if we just talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, shelter, and water. You know, at the end of the day, historically speaking, real estate has held up exceptionally well during economic downturns, other than two thousand and eight. And that was, you know, mainly because it was that housing crash was specifically driven by bad lending practices so you know when you own something that is a fundamental need when when stuff hits the fan and there's an economic downturn people are going to do everything in their power to make sure that they can keep the lights on and keep a roof over their head Um, nobody actually needs a tesla nobody actually (laughs) you know needs um whatever it may be zoom stock or anything like that. nobody actually needs that and so the end of the day, where I put my money long term is in things that just, you know, serve fundamental needs and drive safe and consistent cash flow. Because if you look at it, net net of the wealth that was built in real estate, you know the majority of it, eighty percent, comes from cla- cash flow. It's not right. off appreciation. So when you're buying things that generate cash flow and can effectively pay for themselves, well, that affords you a whole different sense of time freedom. Um, and just I guess uh, wealth freedom in general that you don't really get with stocks you don't really get with bonds you know you're getting some dividends but a lot of times your money's locked up and so you um, you know you just can't you just can't act on the t- the time element the time freedom that comes along with cash flow
0: you know not having to have a job yeah and c- cash flow is really interesting because it's, Obviously, something I mean we all need money to pay for things. I mean, that's how that's how we live. That's why we go to work. But the cash flow part of real estate investing, I think is really interesting because we typically the conversation is typically around appreciation, like right. you know you bought your house for two hundred thousand. Could you sell it for three hundred or three fifty like, oh great, in however many years I got that much appreciation. Why do you think that we don't talk as much about that cash flow piece like that seems to be the like the secret around real estate investing is just creating that cash flow.
2: You know, I think it's funny uh, when people go to, because I'm, I'm also a commercial real estate broker. So, you know, when I talk with people who are thinking about selling their property. I go, okay, let's just say I wrote you a check tomorrow for $4 million. What are you going to do with it? Mm. They're like, well, I don't really know. So most people don't actually know how much money they need to retire. They just think about this giant number. like I got a million dollar check. <laughs> A um, million dollars, if you really think about it, you know, only lasts you like 10 years if you're you know, living off of, say, $100,000 a year, which is a pretty healthy income. Um, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says it best, wealth is how long you can go without working. And mm. so to me, having consistent cash flow coming in every single month is key. So I think about it in terms of uh, net worth. Like, I, you know, I'm a net worth multimillionaire. Um, and how much leverage, how much can I leverage that money to make me more money to you know, pay my overhead costs? Because at the end of the day, like, I'm chasing time. I want more time with my family. I want more time to contribute into my community and my church. And if I just have to keep going back and you know, I make a bunch of money and then I spend it all and I have to go do it again, well, that doesn't give me my time back. And so, yeah. To answer your question, it's just people don't have a concept of how much income they actually need. They just think about it horizontally, not necessarily vertically. If I have two hundred dollars coming in over here, and five hundred over there, and five thousand over there, pretty soon that adds up to a pretty healthy, you know, salary. And the median household income in the United States is like 50, fifty-seven, fifty-eight thousand dollars a year. So, you know, most people would kill to have fifty-eight thousand dollars a year of cash flow coming in.
0: Yeah, definitely. I like that idea of thinking about it in buckets too, that some here, some there. I think that's like a really good visual of 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 the cash flow. And you talked about how real estate uh is obviously we need to live in a house. And so there's always gonna be a need for real estate. I was really kind of interesting as a spectator to stand back last year and to watch. I wasn't sure were people gonna really like flee into houses, was that market really gonna Pop or were people gonna be more cautious with their money and people went out and they sold houses and bought bigger houses and moved to different uh, states and cities what what sort of trends did you see in real estate last year or maybe that you're still seeing?
2: Well, the residential market was on fire. it's still on fire um, on the commercial multifamily side, you know we didn't see a lot of deals trading hands last year. Mm. we saw about 150 deals that we really, you know, paid attention to from the underwriting side. You know, we've seen about 200 opportunities just in the first quarter of this year in terms of deal flow coming through our desk. Wow! So it's definitely moving more. Um, the res—you can't even really compare the two because the residential market is really driven by retail buyers and retail investors who are thinking more emotionally. You know, the other day I saw a house that. Uh, was closed $100,000 over the asking price. (laughs) I Um, believe it. (laughs) So it'll never appraise, right, for the the value. Um, So as long as we continue to live in this, we'll call it printed money environment, uh, fiat currency, where we just continually print print more and more money, uh, our dollar is going to be getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And the Federal Reserve has put themselves in a position where they can't do anything other than just keep interest rates where they're at. um, Because if they raise them, the whole thing kind of falls apart. And So, you know, rates are continued to be very, very low, but the byproduct of cheap money is there's lots and lots of cash, lots and lots of leverage. And so every email that I get from a residential lender is like, you can afford more now than you ever could, you know? And it's like, (laughs) oh my gosh. So it's a zero-sum game. You know, my as an investor, the investor side of me is always thinking about uh, you know, what can go wrong, will go wrong. And how do you plan for that? And so that's, that's how you just be a good investor, a good steward of your money is you're always just preparing for winter. And, um, you know, back in 2018, we sold our big house, downsized to a townhome, repositioned ourselves with some cash. And for two years, everybody was looking at me like I was crazy. Like, why would you move out of your house and move into a townhome? Um, I was like, because winter's coming. They're like, things are so good. We're in the largest expansion since World War II. Unemployment's at 2.89 percent. Like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, well, just look at history. Right? It doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. And um, historically speaking, every eight to ten years, in our current, you know, paper money society, the market corrects. That's just what happens. Um, but we just keep kicking the can down the road with government intervention. So. You know, those are the things that we're thinking about is making sure we're buying stuff that cash flows from day one, making sure we're buying properties that can pay for themselves in some sort of economic downturn. You know, Scale is actually a way to do that. The more doors that you have on a singular property, the, the more efficiently the property is going to be able to run and the more mm-hmm. vacancy you can withstand.
0: Yeah, so I want to walk through some of the differences. So obviously, we understand residential real estate, we buy a house, we live in it, or maybe we rent it out, whatever that might be. But when we're talking about investing in real estate or multifamily or commercial, what are we looking at? Like, how does that how does that look different than if we just went out and bought a house that we rented out?
2: Yeah, a lot of it comes down to the valuation, but just the operational efficiencies that come on with having more doors, you know. So if I have one house and I have a renter in there and they decide to leave, well it's 100% vacant. Right. If I have 100 units and 20 people decide to leave, well it's still 80% occupied. And so that type of scale allows you to just withstand any kind of economic uh, turmoil you know vacancy is the probably the second biggest risk beyond the economy that you you can't really control and so with you know larger apartment complexes where you have more doors not only are you protected from vacancy but you're also operationally more efficient because i can hire professional third-party property management i can have on-site leasing staff on maintenance on site maintenance technicians um, my marketing becomes more scalable Obviously, just. Um, utilities become more scalable. I mean, it's just net net. It's just all around more scalability. And if you know anybody's a business owner, you, you being included, you just understand the power of scale. It's incredibly valuable. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so are there certain, like, let's say somebody listening, we want to get into this type of real estate investment. Are there money steps we should take to prepare? Uh, do we need a ton of cash to get to get started in this realm, like how does that? What does that look like?
2: You know, I think it starts probably a few steps before that. Um, when people talk to me about wanting to get into real estate or wanting to invest in real estate, I ask them a the fundamental question: Are you interested in being an active real estate professional, meaning somebody who's running a real estate investing business, or are you simply interested in investing in real estate? You know, getting all the benefits that come along with it, but none of the brain damage. So I think it starts there. You know, if you're going to be successful in investing in real estate, you got to be prepared to go and start a business. That's just the way that it goes. Um, the people that you <clears throat> real estate gets a bad rap because you hear people say stuff like, "Well, do you really want to go fix toilets at 2 a.m.? <laughs> do you really want to deal with tenants who don't want to get out?" And it's like, well, those are just bad business decisions, right? Because you decided not to do the proactive maintenance on your property. That's why you're dealing with the tenant uh toilet clogging at 2 a.m. Because you didn't do a good job in your screening process by putting a tenant in there. Like that's why you're dealing with a bad tenant. And sure, you can do only so much to try to you know protect some of that stuff. And sometimes crazy stuff's gonna happen. But if you're not prepared to treat it like a business, man, you're gonna have a very, very hard time. So once you kind of decide on which side of the fence you wanna be, then that kind of makes your decisions a little bit easier. You know, if you if you wanna just all the benefits that come along with owning real estate. Well man, no time like the present. there's never been a better time in history to invest passively with you know very sophisticated active investors and get all the benefits that come along with owning real estate without any of the brain damage
0: what are what are some of the ways to go about that?
2: So being a passive limited partner inside of a syndicated multifamily real estate deal is one of the ways that you can do it. Um, there's lots of great groups out there. Our group is one of the groups that does that. and so, under the SEC code, there is a, a specific exemption known as Regulation D, and it allows uh, unlicensed security, unlicensed professionals who are meaning not securities licensed, to actually raise capital for their own deals in order to syndicate real estate. It's also be known as what's called a private security. Um, but there's also shops out there that offer securitized. Uh, passive investing where you can work with a, a licensed security or licensed broker dealer and actually place capital with them in deals that they've vetted and screened with sponsors that they've vetted and screened um, in order to get access to real estate. So that would be, that probably be the first way. Now you asked me a question, which was, you know, how much money do we need to set aside or how much money do we need to invest? Um, you know, the answer is really, you don't need any, um, there's at the end of the day, you need three things to get a deal done. You need knowledge, you need a hustle or a team, and you need capital. And generally, money is the weakest hand in the deal. You, know, you, can, you can have a ton of money um, and there's lots of money out there for people who want to invest in our deals. Um, but you need me and the deal and the deal maker to actually have something to invest into. Right. And so money really flows to knowledge. It doesn't just flow to a good deal, but it flows to knowledge and a person who can put together a good deal and then from there going and getting the money is really not that complicated. And so if you just think about how any transaction ultimately works is, you know, the we're market makers effectively, you know, just like when your roof leaks you call a roofer. You know, they have a, an invaluable surface that you can't necessarily do on your own. And so no different when people want to get access to syndicated multifamily deals, you know, We have the great deal. We have the great team. We raised all the rest of the capital and the debt. And then you just get to participate.
0: Yeah, I like that. So use the experts for what the experts do. Don't try to YouTube your way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unless you want to really go be an active investor, but that's a whole different, you know, again, you got to decide on whether or not you want to be an active investor. And it's a whole another level when you get up to the syndicated real estate level, because you're just not dealing with one person. You're dealing with potentially hundreds of investors. Who are all counting on you to be a good steward of their money.
0: In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnin provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to hundred dollars per day or up to seven hundred and fifty dollars per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. It will really help the show. Talking money under podcast. Earnin' is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Okay, listen, like many of you out there, I love Notion, our sponsor today. And I honestly use it every day for my notes and journaling. I also track our family expenses and I manage all of our household to-dos. Notion has been such a lifesaver in helping me get a lot more organized because that's not one of my strengths without stressing me out. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace that can summarize things like meeting notes and automatically generate action items and help you get answers to questions in seconds. It will honestly blow your mind. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, you're a freelancer, you're starting a startup, or you're a student juggling classes and clubs, or you're somebody like myself that just really wants to get organized. Try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash ETM. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash ETM, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you are supporting our show, Notion.com slash ETM. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. a million bucks wearing this cozy, workout-friendly outfit, I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q u slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm.
2: Whatever you're saving up for,
0: All right, so are your real estate investing wheels turning? I know mine are. Let's jump back in and learn more from Samson. Here we go. So then what's the difference between like multifamily investing versus like commercial properties? Like Is there a difference uh, in cash flow or how you approach those two different types of real estate investing?
2: So you'd be referring to like uh, office space or retail yeah. space or something like that. Um, it's the same, but different, you know, most, most large commercial multifamily, which, you know, anything that once you start getting over about 70 units, you're getting into the large commercial multifamily space. Most of it is valued off of what's known as the capitalization rate, um, where you're just looking at the net operating income of the business and comparing that to the price of the property to kind of determine whether or not it makes sense compared to the market. Um, so it's the same when it comes to the numbers for sure. Um, it's a little bit din- different. And when you get into like commercial retail space or flex space or industrial, how those properties are leased, you know, you're, you're working with a different tenant base in a warehouse than you are with somebody trying to rent an apartment unit from you. So the leases are structured much differently. When I sign, when I have a, let's say I have a warehouse space and I put a, a tenant in there, they're going to sign a 10 year lease. It's
1: mm-hmm. likely going to
2: be triple net, and meaning they're going to pay the taxes, they're going to pay the utilities, they're going to take care of all the maintenance. And really, as the property owner, I'm just making sure that the common area maintenance is getting paid for. So, the benefits of that is you get great long term tenants, you're going to sign long term leases, and a lot of the maintenance cost that comes along with the property is not your burden. The drawback to that is, you know, like we've seen, I think, with office space in the last year, <laughs> nobody actually needs to be in the office anymore to effectively run their business,
0: which and, is so great. I'm so happy we got to this point, but geez, finally, I'm so right? sad it took a pandemic to get there.
2: It's, yeah, it's so I think that, you know, in terms of trends and shifts, you asked me this a couple questions ago and I didn't really a- answer that, but, you know, we're moving to an untethered life. It's a, uh, it's becoming an un, you know an untethered economy, and so at this juncture, you know if I can go somewhere and have an insane quality of life, my money goes ten times farther. Maybe because I moved somewhere in the Midwest, but I'm still making six figures plus working for a technology company. And on top of that, I can you know pop around from one location to the next whenever I want. And when I come back to my home base, I get to live in this really baller pad, you know. Why wouldn't you do that? So as, as the next 10 years progress, we're going to just see um, a lot of shifting and remote work and people kind of making the decision to, to live in a place where they can get a lot more bang for their buck. And then on, you know, on the lower end of that, people who can't afford are going to be moving somewhere where they can afford. So I think what you're seeing right now is you're just going to see a mass migration into the middle of the US where it's you know, some of the most affordable cost of living in the entire country.
0: Yeah, it makes it makes total sense to me. And I'm again, I'm so happy we got to this point. I hope it, I hope it lasts. <laughs> uh, I, I'm super curious. How did you get into real estate investing? How did you make your your first sort of entry into this world? Well,
2: see, investing in general. So I, I have a, a non traditional path. I went to school, studied physiology, and thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. But tried to play college football and maintain the grades that I needed to get into med school. (laughs) Didn't quite line up. Um, But that's okay. I I think I would have actually been very unhappy as a doctor. I'm just so outgoing and love people. And so uh, as I was approaching graduation, I had an opportunity to uh, join a futures and commodities brokerage. And so Hmm. for for those who don't know what that is, basically a licensed series three broker. And we sold and traded things like gold and crude oil and cows and pigs and corn and soybean and, and whatnot. And um, on September 29th, 2008, about approximately three months into my career as a newly crowned <laughs> licensed features and commodities broker, the Dow Jones fell 777 points in a single day. And um, I watched the blood in the streets. I had customers that just you know got obliterated in that event. Um, But what I did notice is my customers that continually made money were not speculators, meaning they actually were physical producers. They were pig farmers, gold and silver sellers, crude oil producers. That's because they were using the market to hedge their bet. They weren't using the market and just uh, trading price alone. So that's when this idea of, man, you got to own stuff to really be successful. You got to have assets. Right. Kind of creep, kind of crept in, and then I was newly married, and we were buying our first house a couple of years after that, about 2011. And so, I knew that I just didn't really want to be in stocks long term. I didn't really want to be in leverage futures, that's for sure. And um, and I just started studying. You know, there's like five ways people get into real estate. You're either you're born into it. You spend seven to ten years working in an industry related to it, maybe as an agent or a broker or um, maybe an underwriter or a lender, or you just go bang your head against the wall and figure it out, <laughs> or you find a mentor. Um, so I started with studying and learning and then getting out there and banging my head against the wall. And then, you know, having seven to 10 years of just real estate investing, you know, when I wanted to scale up to the next level and really start to syndicate real estate, I went and found a, found a mentor and found somebody who had already done it cuz success leaves clues and it was just very important to me to make sure that i was working with the best people who already had systems in place and financial models already built that i could i could follow in their footsteps if i was going to be you know taking other people's money in order to go and put together deals
0: so are there any other Like insider secrets or lessons that you've learned kind of along the way that you can share with us. So maybe we don't have to bang our heads on the wall quite (laughs) as much.
2: Um, Yes. The number one mistake that every real estate investor makes when they're new is confirmation bias. Um, You need to be 100% certain about number one, why you want to be in a certain market. And then number two, you have to make sure that you stick to your financial model. It's very easy, especially when you put a lot of time into underwriting a deal to really start to convince yourself why it's a good deal or you know mm, maybe right. get, a, get a little soft on your projections it's always better to uh, underpromise and over deliver for yourself as well when you get into it so that's the first thing is you really have to fight that and have like a written um, business plan and when you get to scale what we use is we just use a financial model and we have access to just insane insane amounts of data to tell us what's actually happening in the market so that we make sure that we're not Uh, paying above market for stuff. Um, And then the other part of that is just the value of a partnership. I mean, gosh, you you know, there's on a, in any real estate team, you need to, you need somebody that can find the deal. You need somebody that can make the deal viable. You need somebody that can get the deal over the line. You need somebody to bring the money or raise the money and you need somebody to sell it on the back end. So you might have one of those skills, you know, and you might need to go backfill with the rest, or you might, you know, be the deal finder and you partner with somebody who's got more experience and they cut you in on the deal. So there's, there's just a lot of different ways that you can make it happen and get started or invest in real estate without actually having to have all the money in order to do it. Um, and so yeah, partnerships and confirmation bias.
0: I like that. Yeah. Um... Big fan of partnership because you're right. There's just there's no way that one person knows all of those or has all those strengths and can pull it all together. And so I can definitely see when we're talking about real estate investing, having a partnership is, um, I would imagine, kind of your secret weapon.
2: 100%. But, I mean, the example of the partnership in our multifamily business, Growth View Properties, is my partner who does all the financial modeling and underwriting Went to school for it. Number one, number two, he's a commercial loan originator, so he literally underwrites for a living. That's his job. Um, So when it comes to financial modeling, I am very competent and can do it and understand it. But I don't know if I am ever going to be like that level good. It's also just not my personality. You know, my my personality is to get out there and meet with brokers and find deals and create teams and build strategy and process and systems. And then you know raise capital those are things that i'm very good at that's those are the gifts that God gave me so lean into my strengths has is, is definitely been a, a big part of it
0: how hard How hard is it to find multifamily investment deals like it, is it I would imagine it's it's more of a search than obviously buying residential real estate
2: yeah you know the hard part is there's not like a MLs system in commercial real estate um Brokers ultimately control the market. And a lot of stuff never actually goes fully to market. You know, you a lot of times you're you're making relationships with brokers who have been working with these customers for 10, 15, 20 years. They've helped them buy a bunch of properties. Those properties are now coming full cycle and getting ready to go to the market. So you gotta know the broker, and the broker has to believe that your team can execute, your team can close, that they can bring the money, not only because it's obviously their customer, but number two, a lot of these sales cycles can be six, seven, eight months. And so as a broker, you don't get paid until the deal closes. <laughs> so the broker cares about one thing ultimately, which is, can you close? And um, and so yeah, it's just spending a lot of time doing that. And then there's lots of good data. I mean, property ownership is that information's pretty much readily available um, but there's some good platforms out there now that we leverage that allow us to see who the ownership group is um, how many properties they might have in their total portfolio and then it's just picking up the phone and calling them it's the stuff that no it's not very sexy or glamorous there's not like <laughs> them that that part is relationship based you know and and you just got to pick
0: up the phone and call yeah it's it's so fascinating and so, uh, interesting for me even to learn about this type of, of, of real estate investing. And it's definitely a very unique niche and you definitely need people that are, that know what they're doing. So I would love for you to tell everyone who's listening, if they're interested, how they could connect with you, learn more about this and, and really understand the process, uh, that you go through.
2: Yeah. 100 percent Um, the first step is if you're interested in passive investing, you know, the appeal there is you can get the same, if not better, returns by passively investing into larger assets that drive safer and more consistent returns. The first step is you just got to get educated on how the game is played. A lot of people, once they decide that passive investing is the right path for them, They have a lot of uncertainty because they just don't understand the jargon. They don't understand who the players are, how the game comes together, how we raise money or capital, how everybody gets paid. Um, Some of it's not knowing what questions to ask. Um, So if you head over to PassiveInvesting.pro, I put together a course, which is known as the Passive Investor Power Playbook, that really, one, gives you all the background information about how the industry works. And then two, an actionable framework that you can leverage to go and analyze any passive investment, whether it's with us or with you know some other group.
0: That is amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. Uh, this has been this has been so, like I said, just very insightful. So thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me.
0: I have to tell you, after working with high net worth individuals for more than ten years. The common denominator was that they invested in real estate. Sure, they had a nice house, but it really wasn't about that for them. They wanted to invest in real estate and earn income, grow wealth, you name it. So I'm really excited about this idea of investing in real estate without having to unclog toilets and change light bulbs. That's the kind of investing I like. So if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, share it with friends, family members, anybody who you know is really interested in investing in real estate. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to episode guest and episode sponsors. Be sure to follow Millennial Money Podcast and any podcast player you're listening to so you never miss an episode. I'll see you back here in a few days for a new one. Hey, you.
1: Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money.